This is Scott Becker with the Becker's Healthcare Podcast. Uh, we'll also publish this in the Becker Private Equity Podcast. We're joined today by Kristen McDermott Woodrum, uh, one of our most listened to guests. And Kristen's going to talk to us today about what she's seeing in the world of substance use disorder, uh, addictions, and so forth. Kristen, tell us what you're seeing out there. This has been such a big issue as mental health and, and so forth. Tell us what you're seeing. Thank you, Scott. So over the past few weeks, I've been tracking some developments. They've been very big developments in the area of substance use disorder treatment and prevention, um, including this week, we have proposed rules from HHS and SAMHSA, the Substance Abuse and Mental Health Services Administration, that will address some of the changes contained in the CARES Act to better align 42 CFR Part 2, the federal substance use confidentiality law with HIPAA. Um, the result will be to allow for more coordinated whole person care and efforts to treat substance use disorder and support recovery. We've also seen the announcement of some huge opioid litigation settlements, which will fund new programs. And then also earlier this month, the CDC issued updated clinical practice guidelines for prescribing opioids for pain. And that's the first since 2016. Thank you. And, and when you look at all these things, the amount of substance use disorders, the increase in opioid addictions, the increase in suicides, the, the increases in sort of just behavioral health challenges, the fact that suicide has become the second leading cause of death for ages up to about 25, 30 years old. How does the government make an impact in some of these? What, what can be done to try and sort of deal with all the behavioral health and mental health issues that are going on in the U.S. and, and every place. How do, how do we start to, is there a way to make an impact? Yeah, that's a great observation and question. Um, and, you know, certainly there's been a lot of funding and attention to, you know, behavioral health, suicide, addiction, um, you know, drug overdose deaths have continued to rise. The data released on 2021 showed that up again, about 15% from last year. And as you know, we saw a huge spike um, of 30% from 2019 to 2020. And a lot of that was attributed to the pandemic and COVID and sort of the problem with social, isola social isolation and um, financial strain and inability to you know, have regular interventions or touch points. You know, that was a factor in, I think, the addiction and as well as the suicide. But there's been a ton of funding and you know that alone doesn't help. I think right now we've got an interesting framework where the federal government has tried to loosen laws that would allow for more integrated whole person care. And one of those efforts is this effort to reform part two, which is the substance use law. And it, you know, well-intended law, it predates HIPAA, it's much stricter it was enacted to um, address concerns that stigma and fear of prosecution would discourage patients from entering addiction treatment or you know, they could get arrested or lose their children. But it had really, really strict rules on consents, stricter than HIPAA that have been really big roadblocks in sharing patient information, um, even with other clinicians if they're not involved in the addiction treatment. So I think that the congressional effort to reform those laws has been you know, a long time coming. And I know that there was a partnership to reform part two that worked tirelessly for about five years on these efforts, 50 different organizations, 
Um, and, it, and it took that to get that change. The CARES Act in 2020 is what implemented that change in some legislation that West Virginia Senators Shelley Moore Capito and Joe Manchin had introduced. It was the Jessica Grubbs Legacy Act, I believe. She was a, a West Virginian who was in recovery, had knee surgery, and then was prescribed opioids after, you know, efforts to, you know, inform the clinicians that, that she was in recovery and they did not want that result. Ultimately, she died. So um, I think aligning the federal framework of regs and, and laws with, you know, efforts to have integrated care is one, you know, one thing. Um, and then using a lot of these dollars, I talked about the big opioid settlement, you know, Walmart, CVS, Walgreens, you know, in for combined 13, 14 billion dollars earlier this month, in addition to all the settlements with the manufacturers and the distributors. You know, the states have a lot of money. It's just how do they distribute that and use it for, um, you know, meaningful treatment and recovery and education purposes. So it's been interesting to see how the states have allocated their dollars. I know a lot of health systems have been working to affiliate with community organizations and with other kind of addiction providers to provide care across the continuum for people who are suffering from mental health and addiction. You know, there have been some barriers to that, you know, including the substance abuse confidentiality law I talked about. But, you know, it's been fun to kind of work with a lot of health systems and with addiction providers on those efforts. And a lot of that is, you know, in line with what we see with the social determinants of health and working with community organizations to, to make sure that all the resources are there to, to treat the patient as a person, not just treat a, a, an isolated condition at a time. And then you've seen a lot of, you know, private equity money investing in addiction, you know, for multiple reasons. Obviously, you know, I think the MAPIA, <laughs> the Mental Health Parity um, and Equity and Addiction Act, it's supposed to provide for kind of equitable health care payments for, for the mental health services. Query whether we're actually there yet on coverage and payment, but you know, I, I feel like there's been some very good attempts by some of these groups to to provide meaningful care. I think, you know, there's been some legislation also to address perceived um, kind of abuses there in sort of patient recruiting and patient brokering. But, you know, if, if done in compliance with the laws, you know, those are great opportunities to provide care in, in new and innovative ways, including withdraw and Medicaid, medication-assisted therapy in the home, more telehealth. So, um, you know, hopefully these are areas that will really make a difference. It, it, it is quite complicated because I hear about all these regulations. I hear about all this money being thrown at it. And it, it's very hard to judge what's effective and what's not effective. Like, where are people actually getting taken care of or not? Like, I, I hear this stuff, you know, somebody that telehealth, you know, uh, funded behavioral health companies turned out to be nothing more than drug merchants, really, you know, prescription mills. And it's very hard to sort of differentiate between what's actually helpful, what actually touches a person and helps them on the mental health side versus not. Like at the end of this, all this different funding, all these different programs, but it strikes me as, you know, more than anything, we need more psychologists, social workers, psychiatrists, and the money is so wasted in so many different ways that it's hard for me to judge. We see the problem, 
but I'm not sure that I buy into the solutions that are being proffered. And all the legislative efforts seems like politicians speak versus actually being effective at at serving people and taking care of people. Sometimes it's very, it's very, it's very hard to watch. Very challenging, I think. Yeah, and I'm sure for families who have lost loved ones to addiction or who are suffering with mental health conditions, you know, it can be frustrating because there's a lot of talk, but you know, is it really making an impact? I think one one example I was involved with here in Georgia, um, Hazel and Betty Ford Foundation and Emory University and Emory Healthcare entered into a strategic affiliation back in 2022, which is branded as the Addiction Alliance of Georgia that has multiple philanthropic um, funded efforts to address opioid issues and other addiction issues in the state, including treatment programs, education, community outreach. It goes way, well beyond that. I know one aspect of that, Scott, is research, and there's been an effort to really study um, the effectiveness of telehealth and different treatment modalities. So, um, you know, definitely some resources by some very good organizations focused on these problems. So, you know, optimistic will see some solutions that can be rolled out across the country. Well, it's hopeful. I mean, certainly have great respect for Betty Ford Hazleton, 100%. Magnificent organization, but fascinating. Fascinating to see like, people understand the problem. We've got a pandemic of behavioral health, but so much money spent in so many different ways. It's very hard to see if it's focused and useful, but let's hope it is. Kristen, always great to visit with you. Just fantastic. Again, Kristen McDermott Woodrum, partner at McGuire Woods. Thank you for joining us on the Becker's Healthcare Becker's Private Equity Podcast. I mean, we've not really talked a lot about private equity here, but there's been a huge funding amount of venture capital and private equity into behavioral health companies of all different sorts. Uh, and so we'll see, we'll see if it helps. Thank you so much for joining us today. Thanks, Scott.